I enjoyed all the attention, and despite the seriousness of the situation, we joked about it with my colleagues from other tour operators. We felt like little celebrities. Welcome to a new episode of Most Memorable Journeys. Today I'm going to tell you about the first time I worked on another continent. After my second summer season in Cyprus, and the third season for the company altogether, I was offered to work in the winter, which only happens once you have earned it. There were so many more assignments in the summer than there were in the winter. Most of the Mediterranean destinations closed down in the winter, so there's only work for about half of the reps that a tour operator employs. Being offered a winter destination depends on performance and client feedback, complaints, how we handled those many tasks like keeping our clients happy and entertained, taking care of overbooked flights and overbooked hotels, or translating for people at doctor's offices or hospitals, even changing a tire when our rental car had a flat or driving back and forth to the hotels we worked with, because sometimes the hotel's landlines didn't work. We had no cell phones, and mostly not even a phone in the apartments where we stayed in. In October 1983, I received a very exciting telex from the head office, in which I was offered to spend the winter season in Tunisia. I was delighted because I had never traveled outside Europe before. And of course, I immediately went and bought the book. I still couldn't Google it because there was no Google at the time. And I realized right away that I would be doing a lot of driving again. But in the meantime, my driving skills had greatly improved. Tunisia sounded fascinating. A colony again, but French this time. And um, during the French colonialization, the French language was introduced in public institutions and in the education system. And that meant that I would be able to communicate easily and effortlessly. So, in November 1983, I boarded a Tunis air flight to Tunis in northern Africa. And I was picked up at the airport by a lady who had spent the summer season there and who I was going to be replacing. Our company was renting a big villa in Hammamed, where normally, during the busy summer season, three people would live together. But since the winters were quiet, I was going to stay there by myself. And I was also going to be looking after the hotels in Nabeul, Sous and even down in Monastir, which was about an hour and a half away from where I lived. I understood that there was a lot of challenging work to do. And in the first week, I was introduced to everyone I needed to know in the hotels and excursion offices, of course, also in the carpet shops and in the restaurants. I was really grateful to be driven around at the beginning, because even though in Cyprus, Driving was quite wild. Tunisian driving was a tad wilder. And I was quite shocked at the beginning 
when I watched people wait by the traffic lights, five cars side by side instead of three that the line showed. Our company had bought a car. It was a Citroën manufactured under license in Tunisia. And the lid of the engine hood was always wobbly and I never really knew if it would open while I was driving. Whenever I took it to the garage for a service, I told them to have a look at it. And the answer was always, voilà, pas de problème. So, anyway, after a week of introduction, I dropped my predecessor at the airport and drove back to Hammamet. And as I had already mentioned in previous episodes, I have a bad habit of not paying attention when someone else drives. And basically, a very bad sense of orientation. And when I came back to Hammamet on that Saturday night, I couldn't find my house. Thank God someone else knew. The owner of our office also owned a restaurant. It was called Chez Ashur and it belonged to Ashur. So I had to go and confess to Ashur that I was lost and I didn't know anymore where I lived. He laughed his head off. And of course, the week after everybody knew what had happened to me because news travels fast in Tunisia. But I made it home and suddenly was alone in this huge house with a cat called Gattusi, which I had inherited from the representative I replaced. And I realized that I needed to get organized and find some other people to spend time with. Moving around like we did meant starting from scratch every time we changed destination. Whenever we arrived at a new place, we had to explore and get to know people and places and shops and we needed to find out where to pay the electricity bill, which doctors we could use if one of our clients get ill and how to do so many other things. My biggest problem was always finding my way around. But somehow it must have worked because I never actually and officially went missing. Fortunately, there were quite a few other Swiss tour operators represented who also had a winter program. And I made friends with them after some time. We became a lovely little community and started meeting for a bricaleuf for lunch or a couscous for dinner and also sometimes cooked at home. I made local friends as well, and wherever I went, I had to have a thé à la menthe, a mint tea, which was tradition everywhere. The people in Tunisia are lovely, hospitable, kind, and very helpful, and they love to have a chat, and of course, find out something that they could spread afterwards. One thing that always intrigued me when I was driving around or walking somewhere was seeing women walk around with a small suitcase. And I was wondering where they were going. I used to think that maybe they left their husbands and went back home. But then I found out that they were on their way to the hammam. A hammam is the North African equivalent to a Turkish bath. A traditional hammam which is steam, and a gomam, which is a scrub, involves spending 10 to 15 minutes in a steamy hot room before having a special cleansing solution applied all over your body and then scrubbed off. 
You can usually combine this treatment with a massage if you wish. And once I had discovered where the ladies with the suitcase went, I went there too, at least once a week, and had my hammam. It was wonderful. There is quite a lot of rain in Tunisia in the winter, and our office was built at the end of a downhill road. And every time it rained, the place got flooded. I actually had to ask the head office to send me a pair of Wellington boots, go and check my telexes, because there was usually about five centimeters of water on the floor. And I am quite grateful that I never got electrocuted when I wrote a telex back. By the way, I have been mentioning telex a few times, and I am sure there may be some people listening here who don't know what a telex is. Well, at the time, that was our text messaging system. But of course, it wasn't in a small phone. There were no cell phones. It was kind of a network of customer-to-customer switch teleprinters, like similar to a two-way text-based messages system. And telex was a major or only method of sending written messages electronically between businesses. And then eventually, telexes were replaced by fax machines. But let's go back to Tunisia. Tunisia is a beautiful country. Hamamet, the town where I lived, used to be a fishing village, and it had turned into a great holiday destination with long stretches of beautiful white beaches all the way to the Cap Bon. I also regularly visited Nabeul, where I really enjoyed bargaining for vegetables on the weekly market, and I think it's from them where my great negotiation skills stem from. I used to bargain for a kilo of potatoes. It was just fun, and I think it was just a game. The people who were selling enjoyed it. Everything was going well. We had a lot of work during the Christmas holidays. Lots of driving all over the place and lots of arguing with the police officers on the highway who were, I think they were called scorpions, but I'm not 100% sure. And they always gave us a hard time. I believe that they just stopped anyone who was female and foreign. And they always found something that we had done wrong. But I was also getting better at talking myself out of the accusation that I was stopped for. It was a bit of a game, and being young young and blonde helped, of course. I think sometimes they were just bored and wanted to be entertained, and maybe also test how well our Tunisian Arabic language knowledges were. And we always played the game. I can hear this conversation as if it was yesterday. And here it goes. They would say, Aslema, and I would reply, Aslema, lebes, are you good? And they would answer, lebes, alhamdulillah. And then we were more or less test, we had passed the test. Aslema is a short word that basically means peace. Many Arabic-speaking countries use the full traditional Muslim greetings of assalamu alaikum, which literally means may the peace of Allah be upon you. But in Tunisia, the Arabic language was a little different. It was a dialect. And goodbye in Tunisia was bislema. 
I knew a little more. I knew how to count to 10, to say thank you and please. And I have learned that people always like it when you know the local language at least a little bit, when you show that you are making an effort. On the 1st of January 1984, there was trouble on the horizon. Triggered by the sudden and huge rise of the price of bread, Due to an IMF-imposed austerity program, a series of violent demonstrations started all over the country, but mainly in Tunis, in the capital. Over a hundred people were killed. And President Habib Bourguiba declared a state of emergency and a curfew, which started at six o'clock in the evening. Gatherings of more than three people in a public place were strictly forbidden. In Hamamet, things were relatively quiet, but we also knew that something was wrong. Funny enough, most of our information came from the head office in Switzerland, because there, the story was all over the news. They were actually considering bringing us home, but there was hope that things would get back to normal soon. I was 23 years old and lived in that big house on my own. And in the evening, after six o'clock, when the curfew had started, I listened to the footsteps of those patrolling soldiers. I was pretty terrified, but fascinated at the same time. And I got a lot of attention. The people from the head office called me every day to ask how I was. And I even gave an interview to a Swiss local radio station on, my, on the phone. And my name was mentioned in some newspaper articles. Those were my first five minutes of fame. And maybe that's where the need or my need for information or for sharing information comes from. I enjoyed all the attention. And despite the seriousness of the situation, we joked about it with my colleagues from other tour operators. We felt like little celebrities. After about a week, things gradually went back to normal. I started to relax and enjoy my stay again in this beautiful country. And it was also more quiet because the Christmas and New Year's season was over and we had less people to look after. I loved exploring and with my friend, we went and spent the weekend in the north, in Bizert and visited Tabarka. But one of my favorite places was Sidi Busaid with its cobbled streets. It's near Cartago, where the airport is. And so often, I went early for my arrivals so I could have a coffee in Sidi Busaid before. The entire little town is on top of steep cliffs which overlooks the Mediterranean. And many artists lived there or lived in Sidi Busaid. It is absolutely charming with its shops coffee shops and art shops. It's a little bit like similar to Sandorini in Greece. I even brought home one of those famous bird cages to Switzerland and took it with me to Cyprus when I moved many years later. They are called Une Cage de Sidi Busaid. There was so much more to explore. I loved Kairouan a Muslim holy city which ranks fourth after Mecca, Medina and Jerusalem as a place of pilgrimage. Kairouan is actually the oldest Islamic settlement 
has the oldest mosque in North Africa and the oldest minaret and is therefore on the UNESCO World Heritage List. On the same list is also El Cem, a fantastic amphitheatre built in, by the Romans during the years 238 and 230 before Christ. And it just looks as impressive as the Colosseum in Rome, even though it's a little smaller. My absolute favourite area, however, was the south, the Sahara Desert. The desert changes colour about five times a day, depending whether it's morning or lunchtime or evening or dawn or dusk. There is something uniquely beautiful about the vastness of the desert that you can only experience when you are visiting it. Whether it's the sand dunes near Dus or Xar Gilan or these huge date palm oases in Tosser or these rocked hills of Tatuan, the beauty of the Sahara Desert in Tunisia's south is stunning. There are many Berber and Bedouin influences in Tunisia's south. Their customs and traditions live on, and learning about them is fascinating. The underground homes of Matmata, for example, are a wonderful place to see and experience what life has been like for centuries in this part of North Africa. By the way, Matmata is also famous for the Star Wars movies that were shot there. I had a very embarrassing experience in one of the small hotels in Dosser. I was there with a tour group and we had stayed the night and I used to collect matches or a soap or something as a souvenir from the hotels where I stayed. But in this hotel they had these beautiful little towels and I packed one in my bag. Just as the bus was about to leave, the receptionist came running out and told me that the housekeepers had checked the bathrooms and a towel was missing. Of course, I knew who the culprit was. I didn't need to go and ask inside the bus. I had to open my bag and I mumbled something like I must have packed it by mistake. But I didn't look very good this morning. I loved my winter season in Tunisia and had a wonderful time. But in April, it was time to go back to my beloved Cyprus. And that's what I did from now on. Just going home to Switzerland twice a year for two weeks, between summers in Cyprus and another exciting place in the winter. I went back to Tunisia to do a holiday replacement in Cherba a few years later for three weeks in August. My stay on this beautiful island was quite uneventful, apart from the fact that I was staying in a house that belonged to the person I was replacing because she wanted to go on holidays to Switzerland. She had instructed me to water her garden in the evenings, and she had also warned me that in the evening the scorpions like to come out and enjoy the last sun rays. So I used to walk around with a water hose in my hand and stomping my feet on the ground because I was hoping that, that the tremor of my feet would chase them away. But it must have been quite a sight for something, somebody who didn't know what I was doing. Actually, now I remember some other stories from this day. 
like I had two flat tires on one day, I remember. And also I was invited to a wedding when a friend of mine was on holidays. But let's talk about that on another occasion. I have to keep you in suspense, don't I? If you enjoy my podcast, please like, share and subscribe to my channel. You will find all the information in the show notes. If you like what you hear and you want to know more about what I do, check out my website www.thesoulkit.com.